Welcome to the Perfect Pitch podcast series, a unique insight behind the scenes of the classical music industry and the inspiring people and stories of their lives. I'm Kat Alder and I hope you enjoy. In this episode, I speak to theatre and opera director Daisy Evans. She's had almost a 10-year run working for and in the opera industry in the UK and abroad, as well as starting her own company called Silent Opera. That's where we first met. She talks about her career, her aspirations, the modern state of opera and her favourite arias. Please don't forget to rate and review our little podcast and I hope you enjoy. Daisy, can you give me your party pitch? If someone says to you, what do you do? What do you tell people? 30 well, second party pitch. <laughs> okay, so my party pitch is, I'm a director and I'm also an artistic director of Silent Opera. Mm. And Silent Opera is a company that takes um, classic works and reinvents them for a new audience, for new spaces. And we use technology and electronics to make the pieces sound completely different and sort of re- remake them more relevant for a modern audience. Mm -hmm. So how long has Silent Opera been going? Um, It's been going for about seven years now. Oh wow. Um, Yeah, I founded it back in, well, 2010, but then our first production wasn't until 2011, so it kind of bridged a bit of a gap. But yeah, and every every production we've done has got bigger and bigger and bigger, so now we're kind of at at fever pitch. Um, where do you think it came from? So can you tell me a little bit kind of on where you started from school age? <laughs> yeah, so I, well, actually recently I went back to see it again. I saw my first opera, well, as in the, the opera that I first bought a ticket to on my own, mm-hmm. um, was Lady Macbeth of Mid-Sense. Oh, Royal really? Opera House, that, that's in, quite highbrow. <laughs> yeah, I know, but a mate of mine uh, worked as a dresser and I didn't really know what opera was. I didn't really sort of care about it, but I was just quite interested to see anything theatrical. And she was like, oh, there's a staff offer you can get really amazing tickets for like 15 quid and I thought okay fine so I went after school I was in my first year of A-levels oh, <laughs> I was wow. 16 um, went up to the Royal Opera House and like honestly my mind was blown really I was because I got this amazing seat like I was so close mm-hmm. and I could see everything and it was the first opera I'd seen that was like a really contemporary design I really remember there's this scene in it which is a which is the bit where they get married mm-hmm. And they were all like doing clubbing dancing, like the robot and kind of like really throwing their bodies around to this crazy Shostakovich music that's really kind of pumping. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. This is what I want to do. I, you know, why aren't, you know, like more people going to the opera? And then I sort of started to realize that, you know, when you go and see La Boheme, it's a kind of really tired old set and it's been done for years. And, you know, and that kind of stuff really didn't inspire me. And then I went on and did a music degree. So did you learn an instrument at the time already? Or were you completely new to the music? No, I was really into music. I played the piano Mm -hmm. and I also played the saxophone. Uh, and I sang, but I was really into like choral stuff. Actually, it's really weird to think back on it. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I was really into all of that. Um, But also I wasn't a very good, I wasn't like a solo singer ever. Mm. Um, And then, sort of did did a music degree because I knew I wanted to direct where did you do the degree um at King's College mm-hmm. London and would you recommend it yeah or? I really liked it I mean it was a really standard degree but the great thing about it was I mean if you were particularly sort of practically musical you could have uh, all your singing lessons or singing lessons or what instrumental lessons were at the Royal Academy of Music so you kind of got this great partnership to lots of other institutions in London um and like our campus was right 
it's right on the strand mm. you know so you you finish you finish lectures or whatever five and you can you know London is right there so for a creative person you can go out and you know like I did just continue to see lots of theatre just walk over the bridge go to the National or the Festival Hall and there's always such good student deals on that you know a lot of things that I used to hear was like, oh, why are you staying in London? It's so expensive for a student. But actually, it's quite a big life hack being a student. You get loads of, you get loads loads of, of discounts <laughs> and loads of free stuff. And especially all the arts organisations, you know, you like get an under 30 discount. It's really good. You um, never get old enough. Yeah, exactly. No, young is like, like 52. You could be a young practitioner in the arts um so after the degree how did you or was that already during the degree that you kind of moved into more yeah, of the directing firm? yeah so I um I actually sort of had grand dreams of being an actor like everyone in the world I think no and I didn't I did and I was in a you know the the whatever society the king's players i think it was called and they did a measure for measure and i in my first year i was in that and it was like the worst thing i've ever been and i was very lucky because i went to a school that was had a really strong theater department but Mm. kind of you know not just you know doing anything goes all the time but it was you know we did lots of greek drama lots of shakespeare and um because it was it was allen's you know named after the great edward allen so they had they had this really strong focus and then I went to uni thinking, oh, it's going to get even better here. And I was in this really, really bad production of Measure for Measure. that was, like, so embarrassing. Um, and I thought, you know what? I can do this better. Mm. So I thought, so I pitched a show for the next year, which was Our Country's Good by Timberlake Wertenbaker, which, uh, you know, I'd studied in school, so I knew it really well. Um, and was just like never looked back from there and I was probably 19 when I directed that Um, was like yeah okay this this is much better you know you get to kind of have control over what what it looks like as a thing you can control the dramaturgy and the narrative and how it's being told and I just started to learn about that that power Mm. really blandly asked but what is directing in your eyes kind of what do you think I mean I think you're responsible for the for the vision I mean you are the kind of captain of the ship Mm. really so even though you've got people who are equal part like a lighting designer or a designer or a choreographer you know ultimately it's it's you and them having the Mm. conversation together to create and then you and then you so that's the kind of uber vision of what a director does Mm. and then you know practically you have to just you know you know create the scenes with the people so you know telling them where to stand and what you want where if you um and you know what's going to happen and where you insert new bits so where you put put bits of music if you're doing a drama or all that kind of stuff Mm. so it's quite a big you're kind of authoring a visual spectacle Mm. which i think is which is great and i'm a very bossy person so i just draw naturally to it obviously (laughs) where do you normally start do you start with the score or the play or kind of really learning about the words or the music what is normally your starting point well i if it's an opera which i now work kind of not by choice but i end up working kind of exclusively in opera now and i think i start really with just listening through to it or reading through the storyline um the wonderful director Lindsay turner who um had the pleasure to to meet in a workshop and she does this great exercise which I totally robbed and now do um, where you just write out purely the action of the play as bullet points so Ah, you sort of make your own synopsis and you try and take out any emotional what you do you take out all the emotional reactions and you just do it and so you start to get 
a sense of where the peaks and troughs of the drama are and you start to see your characters as you know quite objectively what happens to them Mm -hmm. and then you can see what you're really what you really care about you know what is the point therefore that you want to make with this show Um, for example take a really classic opera um, like Traviata my my the first thing that I think when I think about Traviata is I think she's just really badly treated <laughs> like and you go you go and see it in, in the main houses and it's all about how she is how she made choices to wreck her own life and I just don't think for me that's not the right answer I think it's you know how is she how does she fall off the treadmill of life really that's because mm. that's what happens to her the minute that she takes the advice of Germont and decides to or not take the advice he kind of forces her but the minute she does that then like nothing good happens to her mm. after that mm. and you see you you know I found that from you know from doing this bullet point yeah. thing with the, with the script and I think that's really where you start because then if you you know the work that I do with silent opera we cut a lot of things to kind mm. of really yep. make them smaller um I mean, the piece we did Vixen, which we cut heavily, and, you know, Vixen's got an amazing score. I don't want to cut all that music, mm. but if it becomes a story like ours where we just really wanted to tell what happened to her and much less about the forester and the animals and all of this mm. stuff, then you can kind of see, well, actually, you just really don't need that bit. Yeah. Of... Vixen was probably my favourite production, yeah, it was I fun. have to say. <laughs> I thought it was really well especially maybe you can explain a little bit so when you left uni did you start silent opera immediately or was that quite quickly very soon after where did Um, did you know what to do after uni essentially or did you just decide right I'm freelance I'm gonna sell my soul to anyone who wants me to work with them (laughs) well I was really lucky actually in those first few years because I so I got into opera by the the head of department of of music at Mm. King's He's, he's, he knew that I was really into drama and opera, and he said, "Listen, we don't have a we don't have a opera company. Do you want to found one? I'll give you some some pounds, and you can do it." Oh wow! So you know that is an amazing gift to be given. Um, so I started off directing up from there, and then from that point on, really, I sort of and I was very influenced by companies like Punch Drunk and uh, like Knee High. And I went to the opera, and like none of that kind of work was being made at all. Mm. And yet, that was the work that I wanted to make with opera. So immediately, I knew I could see what the gap in the market was that I wanted to fill. Mm. And then, super lucky, I managed to get a job at the Royal Opera House, like pretty much straight out of university. Um, So you know, got to meet all the big, big directors like Richard Jones and David Poutney and David Vicker and. I just thought, right, okay, how do I get there? I know I want to direct, I don't want to assist these people. I mean, you know, I, I did, and I do love assisting, but, I, you know, I don't want to be that for the rest of my life. I want to be a director. And how do you get funding for a small company? You know, you can't really. So I thought, right, I'm going to I'm gonna do this thing, which has, you know, got a really strong selling point. Mm. Um, I don't want to lose the orchestra. That was really important to me because, again... I'd been to see live orchestras perform with opera and then you'd go to a pub and see it with a piano and it was like, just, ah, not, the just same. not the same. Yeah, no, I understand that. Um, and so then what also, is the concept of silent opera in a yeah, nutshell? In a nutshell, so, so basically we pre-record all the orchestra mm. and all the performers perform live and they have microphones and everything's mixed together and you wear a pair of individual headphones and you, you get the opera and the singing, like kind of like you're listening to your iPod, mm. really. So you're in your own little personal world. 
experiencing uh, experiencing the drama that you're seeing in front of you mm. and it means that you don't miss kind of any breath I say I, I think that's really important when you're on a main stage you don't hear any of that extra noise that people make mm. like a kind of sharp intake of breath or a, those kind of micro expressions which I think are really you know integral to opera or to, to dramatic performance I should say rather and uh, you get that all with the mix. You get you you can feel that, and you can you can see it right in front of you. And I think it's just really much more immediate mm. because then when you go back to the opera, I mean, I I go and I sit, you know, way back at the back because that's all I can afford. And I just like it's like a tiny little window mm. that you and you can't see anyone's face. I, I must say, I last year I went to, for the first time to the Met in the front row wow. right behind the orchestra and I was like I get why this is exciting yeah. and it was Thais and I was not particularly excited about it and I was <laughs> like this is such a different experience mm. of where I normally sit somewhere exactly. at the top you yeah, know with exactly. like where's this happening <laughs> and suddenly being like behind the conductor and really seeing everything up close I think for me that was the revelation with silent opera as well yeah. that all your productions from the first day I like the freedom of being yeah. able to run around have it in my own ear yeah. without feeling feeling that confinement yeah. of the space as well because you're not that static which is another no, selling point yeah. for me so we kind of bridge the gap I'd say with that kind of immersive thing like we don't do any of that singular you know dragging one person out and going mm. into a little room it's not free like that but we do find locations so again to use Vixen we started in a bar uh, and then the first little chunk of kind of prelude was in the bar and then you moved to the forester's house so you were actually with him with his kind of dysfunctional family and you know nearly getting hit by ketchup bottles and it's all you know you feel that you feel the angst of the vixen because you feel why she doesn't want to stay in that space and why she feels claustrophobic uh, and then she runs out and is on the streets of is on the streets and you go and sit on the street with her so the other thing that i didn't necessarily start off but with this idea but realized through creating silent operas and the more productions that we did is that the audience become a sort of active member of the drama itself so you have to consider who the audience are you know are you are you her comrade are you are you yourself someone who's on the streets or you know are you or are you just kind of watching through a through a kind of more voyeuristic point of view um, and I until you go and experience silent opera, you can't really understand, but this is such a weird atmosphere if yeah. you take your headphones off. Yeah. Because everyone's really concentrated, like, in their own worlds, but you can't hear anything, mm-hmm. <laughs> or you can just hear, like, one I remember singer. taking, like, one half off yeah. and sitting in the room being slightly uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's... It's interesting, because at once it's a, it's a sort of disconnected experience, mm. as in you can't hear what's going on around you but then at the same time you're in a group of 100 people so it is a collective experience and I think in this day and age people are so used to you know being on the tube and just being locked into that you know you've got all these fancy noise cancelling headphones where you just literally can't hear Mm. the people around you Um, and we're getting a little bit more disconnected but if you can kind of foster that and use it in a collective Mm. way then you you start to show people why it's important to to have these communal experiences and yeah and uh, with the V&A today where the opera exhibition's just finished can I ask you what you thought? (laughs) we had a discussion about it already a little bit short short discussion (laughs) Um, I've 
I think it's really difficult when you're so into opera to go and see an exhibition that's designed for people who don't know anything about opera. Mm. But for me, I loved the soundtrack to it. It was kind of like opera's greatest hits, and they had some great recordings. And but actually, I'm going to immediately retract that. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't opera's greatest hits. It was like because the operas that they chose were quite, quite diverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought um, the same. And you only really had. I can't remember exactly. But you only really had Figaro in there. That was a real oh, like, top top, yeah, top five. Yeah, yeah. You know, there was Popea and Salome, which is one of my favourite operas of all time. Actually, so is Popea. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Handel's Rinaldo, which I worked on in Glyndebourne. Mm. And they used a lot of those props from the Glyndebourne yeah. production. So that was kind of Danny, a mix. wasn't it? Danny Denise? Yeah, it was kind of a mix of, like, nostalgia yeah. and, like... What do you think they could improve on to maybe make it more accessible or more diverse on what it should be? So you mean the, world the exhibition, the exhibition. In that sense? I'll ask you about the rest in a second. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think they did do quite a good job. I think it's just... This is a really... This is a really... Sounds a really big statement, but actually, the minute you put the word opera close to anything, you sort of immediately lose a lot of audience. Mm. So... Which is super difficult because you've got to, you know, it is about opera. Mm. But I thought the passion, power and politics element of it was definitely a really interesting angle to take. Because it wasn't just we're going to present all these operas that have happened in the world. It was very informative about how those operas function within society Mm. and made me think a lot more about why those operas worked Mm. when they did. and, And, you know, what what glass roofs they broke when they, when they were performed especially first. the Russian sector I thought was quite that intense that was very yeah. intense yeah. and yeah. very interesting and actually I think that was the last room wasn't it yeah and that was where I started to really enjoy it as an exhibition mm. um, because before all of that it's kind of you know I just know those operas mm. and I know you know and what do you think is happening right now in the opera industry where do you think it's going What's... well I'd like it to go in a direction of being a lot more innovative in its sort of performance methods mm. you know like exactly what I'm doing with silent opera um, which is to do slightly lesser known works that are still quite you know still quite classic in a, in a way but I'm just sick of every time you get a new opera season announcement that it's you know you've got one comedy in there <laughs> and you've got Trevor you've got a Verdi and there's a, you know there's this like yeah, there's a tick list. And you're like, okay, well, that's what you're doing there. And I've had conversations as well, pitching shows, where they've, where you know, the response has been, well, we've already got a comedy, or well, we've already got our 20th yeah. century, or you know, and and you just think, ah, oh, but surely creating a season is about creating a really nice, coherent whole of, mm. you know, maybe one thought that runs through the whole thing. Um, so, and also another thing is that just I wish people would use spaces a bit different which is you know it's it's hard because op- opera houses are you know they run on a rep system so you can't sort of take out all the stool seats for one night and then put them all back in for the next night because mm. you'd spend the entire you know you just don't have the turnover time but you know using I'm not saying we have to go we have to leave the big houses it's just using them a bit differently in the way that you know, to, to kind of bridge that gap between I always wonder why they didn't do much in foyers or kind of... I yeah. mean, it's not just running around the, the, the way to the stage yeah. and doing something in the middle of the audio. It's yeah. once during the production, but it's just yeah. why aren't the other spaces exactly. in the opera house not being used? And I saw a really interesting piece at Sadler's Wells, and it's terrible to bring this up, and I no. don't know the name, but yeah. <laughs> it, was this, it was an installation that took you all around the Sadler's building. So oh, you started yeah. off with this amazing kind of sound and light show 
that happened on the stage. So they brought the Iron Curtain down and they sort of filed everyone around and we were all just on the stage of the of Saddlers and it made this really interesting, huge space. I yeah. mean, the spaces at these big houses is, is insane. Yeah. I mean, the Royal Opera House is... It's, I mean, it's, it's a big luxury, the Royal Opera House, but it's got it's got this, the sort of footprint of the stage and then it's got that three times round it wow. so that they can sort of lift up a set, shove it sideways. It's kind of like Tetris. <laughs> it's like they kind of... <laughs> But you think, what could you do if you opened up this space? You'd have capacity for mm. 600 people watching something there, mm. you know. Wow. Um, and I, I, I would really like to see see spaces being used a bit more interestingly. Yeah. And what's coming up for you? So I'm about to, well, I'm about to direct Traviata at Londra <laughs> Festival, um, which is, you know, interesting for me because it's quite traditional. Um, mm. It's a very traditional setup. Um, they've got a very particular way of working so you know my kind of hey let's let's cut all of act three and um, maybe she doesn't die and all of that one of the long red daughters was one of my members of staff so I know them quite well they're good fun they're good fun typical English country house (laughs) and it's miles away from anything somehow they managed to sell everything out and it's quite cool Um, but then at the same time which I will never do again (laughs) at the same time I'm directing an immersive show for Disney Um, well it's Disney's Fantasia I'm doing it at the vaults and it's it's not silent opera, but it is on headphones. Oh and, wow! Um, we've pre-recorded all of the Disney all of the Disney original repertoire, so the Rite of Spring and the Sorcerer's Apprentice and um, the Nutcracker Suite. And you wear a pair of headphones, which which can geolocate you. So you just walk into a room, and it will tune in wherever yeah. that room is. Yeah. Um, so it's much more freeform. There's only eight performers in it, so it's much more kind of we think of it more like a kind of museum gallery installation mm-hmm. um and and yeah it's why it's, won't you do that again it's just well no i just mean directing two things at the oh, same time okay. it's just you know <laughs> okay. like, how do i be in two places <laughs> oh no um but you know unfortunately with the freelance life sometimes you just, just take what comes take what comes and i was you know i really wanted to do both these projects mm. and it would have been a horrible task if i'd had to choose either one um so you're doing both I'm just going to do both why not Um, what did I want to ask yeah so lastly if someone wants to go into the world of directing maybe particularly opera or theatre or you know anything really do you have a top tip for some young aspiring director yeah I do I think you just got to do it Okay. Well, that's easier said than done. <laughs> I know, but I think I think it's partly having that enterprising spirit is part of the fundamental fundamentals of being a director. Mm. I think if you just sort of fancied it, then you definitely don't have it have what it takes to be a director because mm. it's so such an oversaturated market. You have to be so sure that your vision is worth twenty times more than everyone else's vision. Um, you've got to be really sure on what your aesthetic is and that's another point somebody told me that quite early on you know that what will I get if I employ Daisy Evans to do a show they have to know they have to and know how that do you it will sell look. that in do you have like some portfolio or do you normally yes. come with yeah, a vision that's or... why you've got to start sort of making work so you can have a portfolio I also make sure that I've got top five pictures oh interesting um, not necessarily with visual aid but just oh hey I really want to direct it on an air and it would look like this and it would I'd do this with the characters and this would be my point with it um, or if you know if, you, if, if you're in that situation I was saying earlier if you're sort of pitching a comedy and they say oh well, we've already got a comedy that you can immediately say 
well, how about this piece of... The comedy's very sad. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> it's sad actually comedy. actually a tragedy. <laughs> yeah, well, it's opera, so it's always tragic. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, you've yeah. got to be ready to go, you know, kind of have your grab bag of ideas. Mm. If you can also, you, it's like, it's kind of like doing a set. You can look at someone and if you're like, oh dear, this idea is really bombing with them. They clearly don't like it. Um, just abort, abort, abort. Start talking about something else. <laughs> Um, and then also that's, that adds into that aesthetic thing then people can say well you've told me about three ideas and I can see that all of those ideas are hot on I don't know representing women differently or you know you're, clearly your major concern is with power structures or something it's really an up itself thing to say but I just think you you've got to be really sure about what it is that mm. you're selling it sounds quite negative in a way and I don't like saying it but you are a brand really and you are no, I think sort of important. really selling yeah. something because you know people are going to employ you and give you money to mm. do that thing mm. so well I think that's a good tip is there anyone you're excited about in terms of or not excited or you see as someone you think is inspirational or be it a director another director or could be something completely non-disciplined from the performing yeah. arts is there I anyone know. you're like wow they're doing things places that I'm like Whoa. yeah I mean there's lots of people that are doing really exciting things I um I really love, I know everyone loves Katie Mitchell, but I really love Katie Mitchell because I think she has a really unique way of looking at um, looking at drama, you know, mm. and she's very clear on, you know, she just says, well, I'm only, my only concern in this piece is, well, with her Lucia, was Lucia. Mm. And, you know, that made a very strong case for the drama and sort mm. of cleared up all of that extra stuff um, around it. But she's a real example of someone who's like really at the top and you know making it work and has really found a formula to mm. kind of keep keep producing and keep mm. being keep being modern and keep um reinventing constantly reinventing um i'll take that yeah, unless her. there's someone else you want to add yeah i'm just trying to think i mean there's so many people who are making work on a on a smaller scale i'm working with a choreographer at the moment from zoo nation her name's carrie-anne ingroy ingroy uh, it's a French name I can't say it very well um, but you know she she does like break dancing and lots of really interesting different stuff but we're doing that to um, really classical music mm. and I find that is really exciting and I find it very inspiring working with her because you know she just sees classical music as just a track to make a dance to and I and you know she doesn't think oh well let's just put some more traditional dance in here it's it's really I love that approach that yeah fine well I'm still going to do what I do but just with a different material mm. rather than how a lot of people think is right it's opera so immediately I'm going to think traditionally or you know mm. put it a thing you see a lot actually which I I'm constantly stunned by is you go to see say like La Boheme Above a Pub and it's in period costume <laughs> I'm like and like really bad because they had like you know no 20 budget. quid to get all the costumes <laughs> you just think I really don't understand what you're trying to say with this because mm. you're just copying you're just doing a bad version of what's mm. on what you can go and get then you'd the rather go house. to the opera house exactly and, <laughs> yeah. and I do I do I'm invested in making a chain towards those big houses rather than saying just veto them because they're, mm. they're all traditional I think what they make like Lady Macbeth and Sense. Um, which was revived um, this year and I went to oh. see it and it was still as stunning as it was you know mm. however many years ago <laughs> 14 years ago um, and uh, you know so they, there is a value in those things I just think we need to think about it a little bit differently yeah. and, and um, you know be the change 
Okay. Well, a nice one to end. Thank you Thanks. very much. Thank you so <laughs> That's much. That's it. Thank you, dear Daisy, for all your wise words on opera and all things general career advice. Catch our Traviata production at Longbra Festival Opera starting on the 23rd of June. I'll link the production site in the footnotes of this podcast. You can reach Daisy um, on all the usual social media channels as well as Silent Opera, both also have websites, ending.co.uk. To sing us out on the theme of opera, here's the magnificent and one of my favourites, Danny Denise, singing a beautiful Handel aria. Coincidentally, she's presenting a new BBC4 series on female composers this week, so make sure to tune in. I'll send a link in there as well in the footnotes. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.